not be the pastor of a church, but the teaching of God's Word is a responsibility and a privilege, and it belongs to every follower of Christ. In this message from Acts, David Platt helps us see that every disciple is to be involved in making disciples, and the Word of God is critical in this task. The Word saves, it satisfies, and it sanctifies people. Whether formally from the pulpit or relationally in everyday life, disciples of Christ are to teach the Word. This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Here is David with a message titled, Disciple Making, Teach the Word. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open with me to Acts chapter 2. I am thankful to God for Chris Nichols and his willingness to open up his life to us last week. We have a lot to learn from a man with nine children, whose family and whose home has been such a clear display of the gospel to many, many, many people. He's, Chris is a constant reminder to me that disciple-making is not an easy step-by-step program to participate in, but it's a difficult, oftentimes messy process to invest your entire life in, and there's nothing more important that we can do than invest our lives in multiplying the gospel in other people. So, You've got at the top of your notes a little, little recap review for us, just to bring us all up to speed, especially if you've missed the last couple of weeks. We're, we've gone through Acts, now we're taking a step back these last four weeks that lead up to Easter and saying, okay, what does it really mean to make disciples? Because we've got a core conviction around here that every disciple is a disciple maker, that every follower of Christ in this room is created by God commanded by God, saved by God, intended by God to make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, Jesus has said, to each and all of us, going, baptizing, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, which means that we are all going. We share the words. So we talked about a couple of weeks ago, how the Spirit of God is on all of us, on each one of us, to share the gospel with other people. The gospel advances as, not as people come into one location, but as people go into all nations, go with the Spirit of God into our, our homes and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and this community and the city and throughout this country and to the ends of the earth. This is how the gospel advances. We go, we share the word. And then Jesus says we're baptizing, we show the word. That's what, that's what baptism is. And we're going to celebrate baptism in just a few minutes. But baptism is a picture of our identification with Christ and his life and his death. That's the beauty of baptism, which I want to pause here real quick and just ask every single follower of Christ in this room a question. Have you been baptized? If not, what in the world are you waiting for? I'm always amazed at And how many professing followers of Christ have not been baptized? This is is initial step in obedience to Christ, in a relationship with Christ. So if if you've not been baptized, then with all due respect and with as much gentleness and compassion as in me, like get baptized. (laughs) Be baptized. And you, you look at what we're talking about here. Every disciple is a disciple maker. We're all supposed to go and baptize. Well, how can we be obedient to the Great Commission, leading others to be baptized, if we have not been baptized ourselves? Makes no sense. So 
here's, here's, the, here's the reason I want to mention this at this point. Easter, two weeks away. As a part of our Easter worship gathering, we're going we're to celebrate baptism together. And so if you are a follower of Christ and you have not been baptized, then this Easter is for you. And so I want, I want to encourage you. You've got your notes. I didn't bring one with me. That had the tear-off thing on the side. So sometime between now and when we take up the offering, tear that thing off, write down your information, and then at the very bottom where it has prayer requests, put a big, fat B for baptism. And, and what, what I want to do is I want us to celebrate baptism in a couple of weeks. And what better day than on Easter to identify your life with the life, death, and resurrection of Christ in this picture of baptism. So, so big B, the bottom of that thing, B, baptized. Okay, so that's what we do. So we make disciples, we're going, we're showing the word, identifying our lives with the life of Christ. And Jesus says teaching. We teach the word, and that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about today. What does it mean to teach people to obey everything Christ has commanded us. Now, before we get there, one obvious conclusion from what we've talked about disciple-making so far. If disciple-making revolves around sharing the Word, showing the Word, and teaching the Word, then this conclusion is clear. Disciple-making revolves around the Word of God. Revolves around the Word of God. And that's the picture we see all over the book of Acts. You, you read Acts this week, like we're doing these last four weeks, and you read it all through in one week, my encouragement is for you to circle every time you see the Word of God mentioned. You'll have about 40 different circles, almost more than, averaging more than once per chapter. You'll, you'll be circling the Word of God everywhere. Let me, let me show you a couple of them. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Now, Peter preaches the first Christian sermon here in Acts chapter 2, so he's preaching the Word, and you look at his sermon even, 12 out of the 23 verses here are quotations from the Old Testament, involve quotations from the Old Testament. So it's word saturated in, the, in and of itself. But then you get to verse 41, and you might just go ahead and start this circle in the word. It says in verse 41, after he preached, those who received his word were baptized. So circle word there. And we're added that number, the, we're added that day about 3,000 souls. So they, they received the word. This is one of the ways you'll see the word mentioned in Acts. You've got people at different points receiving, receiving, receiving the word. Then you get over to chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 29 and 31. I want you to see this twice. Verse 29, they're, they're beginning to experience persecution in the church. And so they're praying. And verse 29 says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word. So circle it there, word. Speak your word with all boldness. You get down to verse 31. It says, When they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They're speaking it. So now those who have received it are speaking it which we'll come back to in just a minute. You get over to chapter 6. Look at chapter 6. Look at, look at verse 2 and then 4. Things were, things were growing. A lot of people coming to the church, and there were a lot of needs that needed to be met. And so they raise up the, 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 the deacons, basically, Stephen among one of them. It says in verse 2, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God so there it is, word of God, to serve tables. Verse 4, it says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Circle it there in verse 4. The picture is, there's a primacy, a focus on the preaching ministry of the word in the church. And you get down to verse 7 and listen to this verse. This is the last one we'll look at right now. 
Verse 7 says, the word of God, so circle it there, word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you see that? The word of God increased, and as the word of God increased, the number of disciples multiplied. So there is a direct correlation between the increase, spread of the word, and the multiplication of disciples. Making disciples revolves around disseminating, communicating the word at the center, sharing the word, showing the word, teaching the word. Now, this is important because I know that some people, when we start talking about making disciples, some people start thinking, well, that sounds a little uncomfortable, maybe even a little arrogant. Like, are we making disciples of ourselves? Isn't that kind of presumptuous? Who's, who's saying that we need more of you around anywhere? But the picture is, that would be the case, and it would be a bit presumptuous if the whole point was, was us sharing our thoughts and our ideas and our ways and our opinions in order to multiply more of us. But that's not the picture. Making disciples is, is not multiplying our image as much as it's multiplying the image of Christ and the fruit of Christ and the life of Christ and the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. And that involves sharing not our words, but his words, not our ways, but his ways, not our opinions and our thoughts, but his opinions, his truth. And so it all revolves around the word of God. So follow this. By God's grace, in your notes there, it says we receive God's word. And that's, that's the picture of what we saw in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And you read Acts this week, you'll see it at the other points. Okay, people receiving the word by God's grace. And this this word that we hold in front of us, church, is a gracious gift. This is the revelation of God. The word of God that brings us into relationship with God. And so we receive it. Like the Bereans in Acts chapter 7, I don't know if you remember, but it says they received it with eagerness. And that's the picture. By God's grace, we receive God's word. But that's not all. Yes, by God's grace, we receive it. And then for God's glory, we reproduce it. We want this revelation from God to spread so more and more and more and more people are brought into relationship with God. That's why we ask around here and have for the last five years, are we receivers or reproducers? If you remember, I kind of take us back to Sudan. You go to Sudan with me, you go into a mud hut, the middle of a Sudanese village, and you're sitting there with church members and church leaders in this little mud hut like you would picture on TV or in a movie, and the whole time you're teaching the word to them, you hardly ever see their faces. And it's not because they're sleeping or, or kind of daydreaming off. It's, it's because they're, they're writing down every single thing you say. And when you get to the end of that time, they come up to you and they say, David, we, we know that we have a responsibility to take everything you have taught us from God's word, translate it into our tribe's languages, and teach it in our tribes. They're not listening to receive. They're listening to reproduce. Now, now bring that into this setting, in this massive room in here. Not a little mud hut, but here we are in this, this room. Now, I realize that there's some who might sleep or daydream in this room. But even among those who are, who are listening intently, even on the edge of your seat thinking, okay, what can I get out of this word this morning? Still missing the point. 
Because if the end game is you in that seat, then we have still engulfed ourselves in a self-centered Christianity that is all about us. This word that is taught is never taught just for us. It's never intended just to be received by us, yes, to be received by us, and then to be reproduced by us in the world, to be translated into the different contexts that are represented all across this room. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about that. But the point is, the point is we, we don't want to be caught in self-centered Christianity. That misses the whole point. Misses the whole point. We want to receive God's word by his grace. We want to reproduce God's word for his glory. Now, one important distinction here. Some of you are thinking at this point, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not really a teacher. Some of you are thinking, I don't have the gift of teaching. So how am I supposed to teach the word? And that's, that's an excellent question. And it drives us to this distinction that's really, really important. According to Scripture, and we see this all over the book of Acts, some of us are called to teach the word formally. Scripture talks about a gift of teaching. James 3, a responsibility of teaching. Even some positions, like we're seeing in Acts chapter 6, where teaching in the church is all is particularly important. You, you see these apostles saying, we need to raise up some other people so we can give ourselves devoted attention to the ministry of the word, more intensive time in the word than even others in the church. And so there is absolutely a picture like that of the reality that some of us are called to teach the word formally. Not everybody is called to, to stand or sit in front of the group of people and, and to teach the word to them in more of a lecture style kind of, kind of format. But all of us are commanded to teach the word relationally. Meaning that God intends all of us and Christ in the Great Commission commands every one of us to be involved in teaching people to obey everything Christ has commanded. And this doesn't require a gift of teaching, a position for teaching. It doesn't even require a setting like we would normally equate with teaching. When it, as soon as we think of teaching the Bible, our, our minds can go to a a setting like this, or maybe a lecture-style format in a classroom, but you dive into the, well, the look at the ministry of Jesus, you, you, don't, you don't see classrooms. You don't, you know, certainly you see some points where he's speaking to crowds, but you see some of his most important teaching is walking along the road with his disciples. And it's what you see here in the book of Acts. There's no college or seminary here. Instead, you see the people of God teaching the word to one another, wherever they can, in their homes, community, as they're walking along the road. It's like Deuteronomy 6 come alive. When Deuteronomy 6 says, teach these words diligently to your children, talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Dads and moms in this room, you, you think about how you teach your children, how you teach them to eat or to go to the bathroom, or you teach them to, to read or teach them to, to play sports. Most of that is not done in the context of a lecture-style classroom. It's done in the context of your relationship to them, right? So in the context of your relationship with them, why would you relegate that which is most important for them to know just to a classroom? Or even more so, just to a time when they're with somebody else instead of with you? No, the most important thing you can do, more important than teaching them to eat, more important than teaching them to go to the bathroom and certainly more important than teaching them to play sports, the most important thing you can do is pour the word, eternal word of God into them in the context of your relationship with them, saturating your conversations with the word. And the same now applied to, 
to husband or wife or friend or or coworker. And now we're seeing, okay, the gospel, this word is not intended just to be spread at certain times in certain locations. We totally miss the point of discipleship when we limit it to one hour a week in a church location. Misses the whole point. This is intended to be spread, this word intended to be spread in the context of our relationships with each other, when we gather together with other, other people. And so that's what I want us to think about. When you hear teach the word, I don't want you to think, okay, he's talking about those who teach in this kind of setting. We see that in the book of Acts, and certainly that's important. Some called to teach the word formally. But I want you to think about it in the context of the, the reality that all of us are commanded to teach the word relationally. So... With that, with that foundation, I want us to think about what this word does as we teach it, okay? As we think, when you think teach, think as we pass it on, as we, as we share it with others, as we, well, it's, well, just practically. Then this last week, I was sitting in an airport and sitting next to a, a man who was walking through some struggles in his life. And so this was an opportunity for me to encourage him, to build him up, to share word with him, to, in a sense, teach him. Now, I didn't say, now, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, and pull out your notes, and you'll see this right here. Not that kind of teaching, but the kind of teaching where I had an opportunity in short 10-minute conversation with him to really pour word. I was having uh, a meal with a friend this week who uh, was walking through a variety of different things. And so this was an opportunity for me to, to speak the word into his life. That's what we're doing. We're always looking for opportunities not to preach and lecture one another, but always looking for opportunities to saturate our conversations with the word. So going below the surface here, okay? Not keeping our conversation at, uh, at uh, weather and sports and cooking and fads and clothes. Not that that's bad. None of that's bad. Weather's good. But, but there's, there's deeper level here that the word takes us into. And when we get into the word, this is what happens. First, this word saves. Now, we've already talked about this some when we talked about sharing the word. But I, I just want you to think real quickly about this initial picture. Come back to Acts chapter 2. When the word is first, for the first time, taught after the spirit comes down, listen to what happened. This word saves. How does it save? Well, first, God's word awakens conviction. You speak this word into others' lives, it awakens conviction. Peter speaks the word, and you get to verse 37 in Acts chapter 2, and it says, now when they heard this, i.e. heard the word, they were cut to the heart. They cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. This is Oh, you, you remember Hebrews 4.12, right? The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Ephesians 6.17 says, this word is the sword of the spirit. I've got to show you this. Okay, so I was in India, and uh, um, I was in India, and when I was there, we're, we're working with one of our partners, Cooperative Outreach of India. And uh, this, this, is, this is a group that many of you have gone to work with in India that are doing ministry in slums, doing ministry among persecuted areas, doing ministry among rural villages that we're partnering together to plant churches all across India with. And many of you have gone to work with this, this partner in ministry in India and have taught the word in different house churches. And so when it came to the end of our time, they said, we want to give you a gift. And, and they said, what we appreciate most about you and the people from Brook Hills is that you always come to India with the word. And so they, they said, here's a sword. I'm not really good with swords. 
Uh, what it is, it's an Indian sword, and it's, it's a double-edged Indian sword. And they said, this is what we think of when we think of the Church of Brook Hills. We th- I don't know if that's good. I think it's good. <laughs> this is us. But this is the picture. What, what, what do we have to bring to India? Our thoughts or our ideas or our opinions? No. What we have to bring to India is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that over the last year alone has awakened conviction in many people's hearts and brought them to salvation for the very first time. That's, that's what we bring. And so that's what we go. So you, you picture yourself this week with this, okay? And yeah, and the, I needed to bring this up here because uh, Caleb pulled it out with a friend of his this last week at home, which was not positive. So, all right. So, so, so what happens? When, when that word is, is spoken, here it is. People realize, we're going to fly through this. People realize the gravity of their need. That's what's happening there. They say, they realize we crucified the Messiah. What shall we do? People realize the gravity of their need and they realize the greatness of his provision. Yes, yes, you have crucified the Messiah. Yes, you, you are in sin before a holy God. But you look at the very next verse. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you hear that? That provision, the holy God on high will forgive you of all your sins and will fill you with his very presence, bring his life into you. This is what we've talked about. What what does the word do? It awakens conviction and it accomplishes conversion. Peter's response, he he says, repent, repentance, turn. People turn from sin and self when this word is spoken. People turn from sin and self. It's what repentance is. We begin to, when this word is spoken, we begin to see our sin the way God sees our sin. And we begin to hate our sin, want to turn from it. And then we, what, is, what, is, what we talked about, there's two words that are used all throughout the book of Acts when the gospel invitation is given. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Faith. People trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is what the, this is what the word does. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and... You're not a Christian. Maybe you've come in here for a variety of different reasons or different people and, and you've never become a follower of Christ. And if that's, if that's the case, I, I would want you to know more than anything else today that, that there is a holy and good and just and loving God. And we have all sinned against Him. In our hearts we have turned to ourselves instead of him. Turn from him to our own way. And the the penalty for that, the payment for that, what we deserve in that from an infinitely holy and just God is, is death, eternal death. But God has sent his son. And and he has died on the cross for our sins. Jesus has taken the payment of your sin upon himself. And he has he's died and risen from the grave, conquered sin and death and the grave, so that everyone, anyone, you, you trust in Christ and what Jesus has done and who Jesus is, Savior and Lord, 
you will be reconciled to God forever. Your sins totally forgiven and in a relationship with God begun that will last forever and ever and ever from eternal death to eternal life. And so that's, that's what this word brings about. I pray, I've been praying that even now in this moment it might bring about that kind of life in people in this room. And so first this word saves, then second. This word satisfies and sanctifies. Satisfies and sanctifies. I, I wish we had time to camp out here the rest of the day, but we don't. So here's the deal. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. You know, the, the Bible says that the word of God is more valuable than gold and much purer gold. It's sweeter. It's more satisfying than the finest of foods. So when you, when you think about teaching the word, passing the word on in daily conversations with kids, wife, husband, parents, friends, coworkers, neighbors, picture it out. Picture it like you're handing out money, except it's better than money. It's the, the finest, better, sweeter than the finest of foods. It's like sharing good food with somebody else. You've got to taste this. Like, this is better than white bread and barbecue sauce at Dreamland. Like this is this is good, and it, it creates hunger, like good food. You, you taste and you want more. I want you to see this. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 7. I want you to look at Acts chapter 13, verse 7. This is when Paul and Silas, or pa- Paul and Barnabas had just gone to Cyprus, and it says, verse 7 starts talking about the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul because he sought to hear the word of God. I want you to see desire here. He, he wants to hear. Saul and Barnabas, come. Paul and Barnabas, come because I want to hear. This is Roman ruler wanting, longing to hear the word. And you get down to verse 12, and what happens? The, the proconsul believed the word when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You see how this... This word, the teaching of the Lord, is actually creating hunger and desire in this ruler. And then, this, this chapter is such a great picture of this, because then later you see Paul and Barnabas speaking to the Jews. Go down to verse 42. They're speaking to Jewish crowds and synagogue, and listen to verse 42. It says, as they went out, so they, they, they'd been speaking, it says they went out, the people begged that these things might be told in the next Sabbath. So, so come and tell us more about the word. They begged for him to. And verse 43 says, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And then verse 44 says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. You see what the teaching the word is doing? It's inciting hunger and desire. Better than food, money, the word. That's the Jews. Then you get down to the Gentiles and it starts preaching. And Gentiles are now hearing. And it says in verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. See the joy here glorifying the word of the Lord. What an interesting phrase. They were glorifying the word of the Lord as many who were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Isn't that a great picture there in Acts 13? It starts with this ruler. I want to hear it. And he hears it and he believes and he's astonished at the teaching of the word. 
And then Jews hear it and they say, we want, we want more, we want more. The whole city gathers to hear. And then Gentiles catch on. And they rejoice as they hearing the word of the Lord and the word spreading throughout the region. That's, that's the picture. It, satisfaction, okay? How does God's word satisfy? Well, God's word shows people the glory of Christ. That's the whole picture. It's what's happening here in Acts chapter 13. People are seeing for the first time Christ as Savior and, and Lord, and they're responding with joy. They're glorifying. They're worshiping because of the, the Word and the picture of God and Christ that they've seen in the Word. All it is is the Word that's doing this work. This is what, this is what I love about, about something like Secret Church. In a couple of weeks on Good Friday, which, by the way, just side note, you know, we're, we're simulcasting and webcasting this whole deal that's a six-slash-seven-hour time in the Word and in prayer. Just none, none, of the, none, of the, none of the other stuff, just, just Word all night in prayer based on the Word for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Right now, there are about 30,000 people signed up to be a part of this via simulcast and webcast on that night. Like, I am scared to death. I've never spoken to 30,000 people before. And, and it gets around midnight, and I start saying things that I necessarily wouldn't say at 10 in the morning. And so just be in prayer for that. But, but isn't it a great picture? 30,000 plus people? What are they coming to do? And just hear the word? Oh, that's good. This word is good. And, and let, me, let me encourage you. Uh, side note real quick. Got to move on. But. Uh, that the whole topic that night is, is the doctrine of salvation, crucifixion, salvation, the glory of God. It's on Good Friday. And I know not everybody is able to, to get tickets but to, to be here, but let me encourage you. I've really been praying as I've been working toward Secret Church. I mean, doctrine of salvation, if you have people in your life who, who, have, who you've been trying to share the gospel with and would like a little help in that, maybe people in your life that are, especially in this culture right here, who are caught up in religion, who would say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but, but they don't really, really see the glory of Christ and see Christ is worthy of our lives and repentance and faith, it's the fruit of Christ. And you begin to wonder, okay, do they really know Christ? Let me encourage you. This is an opportunity for you to bring them in your home for a unique kind of deal. And that night, the, I, I hope the, the gospel and the picture of salvation will be crystal clear. And part of the purpose that night is, is going to be to invite people to respond to Christ and receive salvation through Christ. So you can still, if you go to uh, lifeway.com slash secret church, you can, you can still sign up to get the webcast. It just comes right into your home. Uh, and you, 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 can, you can sign up and, and be a part of that right in your home. So just be, be thinking about that. But whole picture is the word brings satisfaction. And because we see the, the glory of Christ in the Word. And you know, one, one other thing I've been thinking about along these lines here that I want to encourage you with, especially when it comes to making disciples. We, we are all will find ourselves in relationships with people who are going through difficult times. And the Word is a rock for people to stand on in difficult times. As I was praying this week and thinking through this this week, I couldn't help but think there's, there's a variety of things going on even in, in our faith family right now, people who are, who are walking, battling cancer, who are, uh, there's a child who died. There's, I visited on Friday Pastor Charles Card uh, uh, from our faith family who was in CICU after 
a major surgery this week, Jonathan, who we've been praying for with tumor, like, and all of these pictures, oh, feed each other the word. Like, you're, you're, I'm standing there Friday at, at Charles's bed. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about weather with Charles. I'm saying, saying, God is strength and weakness, Charles, and he is, he is present with you, an ever-present help in trouble. He's your refuge. And, and, and talk with another brother this week who's walking through some decisions and, and to say, all right, here, here's, here's maybe how the word can serve you in this. This is what we do. We pass all, and, and the word brings satisfaction and sustenance in the middle of suffering. So, so build people up with the word. So satisfaction and then sanctification. God, God shows us the glory of Christ's satisfaction, and then God's word changes people into the image of Christ. And that's, that's the whole point of the word, really. You go, to, go with me to Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Do you remember this? When Paul was recounting what he had done among the church at Ephesus with the Ephesian elders, in chapter 20, verse 32, I want you to listen to what, what he says. When he kind of leaves them, I want you to hear what he leaves them to. Chapter 20, verse 32. And you remember, and before we read this, you remember what Jesus said in John 17. When we studied disciple-making a few years ago, and we saw in John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples, and he said to the Father, he said, sanctify them by your truth, and your word is truth. The way by which we are sanctified. To be sanctified, sanctification means to grow into the image of Christ, to, to grow into his character, his likeness, we begin to think like Christ, live like Christ. That's what sanctification is. And the means that God uses to bring that about is his word. Look at chapter 20, verse 32. When Paul leaves them, he says, Now I commend you to God and to the word. Here it is, again, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What a great verse. The word builds us up gives us an inheritance among those who are being conformed into the image of Christ. This is the essence of disciple-making. In our own lives and in others' lives, we are wanting to grow into the image of Christ. And the Word does this. Now, it's at this point I want to point out two things that are, that are particularly applicable and important here. First, disciple-making is not about sharing helpful tips. And here's what I mean. Sometimes... People think of disciple-making, they think of sitting down and reading a, a good Christian book together on this issue or that issue. And that's, that's disciple-making. I want, I want to be careful here because I'm not saying that Christian books are bad. I mean, I've written one, I guess, and so they're not all bad. Not all bad. And you judge for yourself whether or not you think that one's bad. Uh, but, not saying Christian books are bad, but, but here's the deal. Those books are only good in so much as they point you to this book. When it comes to disciple-making, what we need is not thoughts of David Platt or the thoughts of this person or that person or this person or that person, no matter how smart or wise or whatever those people might be. What we need is the Word. And it's not that those aren't helpful, but it is. What I do want to say is that those aren't necessary. This alone is necessary. If we had no Christian books and only this book, we would have all we need to grow into the likeness of Christ. This word is sufficient for that task. Now, what, what's dangerous is sometimes we start to think, well, yeah, but. Like, there's a lot of things I'm walking through in my life that this word doesn't address. And I need some help from those other books on because this word, this word doesn't say a lot about parenting teenagers. 
There's, there's, you don't see teenagers mentioned. Closest to it, you got like Eutychus falling asleep and dying, okay? So you got, you got little pictures here and there, but you don't, you don't have a handbook on how to parent teenagers. I know it's prom season. Like, you don't have anything about prom in here. Nothing about, about prom. You don't, you, don't have, you don't have information on divorce recovery in here. It's a huge issue. All across lives in this room. You, you, don't have, you don't have a lot of advice for single parenting. You don't, you don't have money management advice. You don't have what to do with 401k or investment or this or that. You don't, you don't have, this isn't a, a, a financial guidebook. You, you don't have step-by-step on how to walk through cancer in this book. Now, it doesn't mean that this book doesn't have some, some truths and principles that undergird those things. Certainly that's the case. But this is where I want us to realize that the purpose of this book, this book is given to us and it, was, it is inspired by God not to be a, a handbook for financial needs or for this or that situation that, that you will face in 21st century American life. Instead, the purpose of this book is to conform you into the image of Christ, which is your greatest need and my greatest need. We were walking through maybe difficulties. We'll go with the difficulties parenting teenagers. You're walking through that. You, you can start to think if you're not careful, why do I need to read Habakkuk? What does that have to do with parenting teenagers? This story about what a prophet said 2,500 years ago to a bunch of Israelites. Like, why, why do I need to look at that? Why, why is that helpful for me when I'm going through this or that struggle in parenting, being a single parent or divorce or cancer or financial, whatever? So we walk through those things. We start to say, well, what does this have to do? Here, here's the deal. You're, you're walking through parenting your teenager. The greatest thing for you and your teenager is a mom or a dad who is growing into the image of Christ. And Habakkuk is ordained and promised, guaranteed by God to help you grow into the image of Christ. The greatest thing you need, single parent, is to, to be walking in the spirit of Christ, with the wisdom of Christ, with the love of Christ, knowing the sustenance and sufficiency and satisfaction of Christ. And the, and the beauty is, that's one of the limitations in a room like this, okay, I teach the word, it applies so many different ways across this room to 2,000 different people's lives. But here's, here's the beauty. When the Word is taught and you are conformed in the image of Christ and the Spirit of Christ, you're, you're living and walking with the Spirit of Christ, and the beauty is the Spirit takes His Word and applies it in your life, walks with you into the middle of that parenting situation, walks with you. In that moment when you are alone and nobody else knows what you're walking through, He is with you. And this word brings you into deeper and deeper, deeper relationship with him. And that is our greatest need. So, so be careful in dependence on other things that you don't, you don't forget that what we need is this book in disciple making. Our, our greatest need is not thoughts from men. Our greatest need is truth from God. So disciple making is not about sharing helpful tips as much as disciple making is about communicating biblical truth, about feeding one another with truth. It's not... Not Christian book club, it's, well, it's Christian book club. That's what it is. Second point I want to emphasize is that disciple making is not about teaching for the sake of information. Disciple making is not just about more information download. Disciple making is about teaching for the sake of transformation. Jesus did not say, follow me, Jesus did not say, 
go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them everything I've commanded you. That's not the Great Commission. He says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is not knowledge-based disciple-making. This is obedience-based disciple-making. So when, when we think about disciple-making, we're not just saying, okay, how can I get more biblical truth into somebody else's mind? We want, we want to say, how can we get more biblical truth into one another's lives? And what I did is I put concentric circles there in your notes that we've, we've talked about before. So this is review if you've been around Brook Hills. But, but I just want to remind you and relate this to disciple-making. We've talked about how, okay, right on the inside of that circle, that, those concentric circles, that smallest one in the middle, put the character of Christ, the character of Christ right there in the middle. And I want you to think about, this is at the core of who a Christian is. Once somebody is trusted in Christ, the Spirit of Christ lives in them. And the more you study the word Habakkuk, Leviticus, Acts, whatever it is, this word is promised by God to form the character of Christ at the core of who you are. And then the character of Christ begins to affect everything outside from there. It's transformation from the inside out. So put the next circle, put conscience. Put conscience. That's the way we think or feel or believe. And the reality is the more we grow in Christ, the more we begin to think like Christ. The more we think differently from the world, the more we begin to want what Christ wants. The more we begin to feel what Christ feels. It's conscience. It begins to affect how, how, we, how we view the world around us. We begin to view the world very differently. It changes our desires. Third circle, outside that, conduct. Then that affects the way we act. We always live out what we believe. Always, always, anytime we sin, it's because we believe that it's better for us to do this than obey God. And so our sin at the core is a, not as much a behavior problem. At the core, it's a belief problem. We need to change the way we're thinking, what we're desiring. What can bring that about? The Word of God. It transforms the way we think, feel, believe, then transforms the way we, we act so that Christianity is no longer about begrudging obedience. Okay, well, I'm a Christian, so I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this in order to save my skin. No. No, Christianity is about living a life that, that is the overflow of Christ and his desires and his mind, his truth in us. Then all that brings to the outside circle the church as the character of Christ grows in us, changes the way we think, feel, believe, changes the way we act in this world. Then the world judges who Christ is by what they see of the character of Christ in the church. Now, the reason I wanted to put those circles before you is so that you might think about that in the context of your relationships with others, especially other Christians. What we want to do, teaching the word, we want to, we want to pour the word into the center there. And then as we hear one another, as we hear one another saying things, for example, I, I believe this and hear people saying things that don't square with the word, then we gently and we graciously say, hey, what, what do you think about the word here? And begin to, begin to help each other, begin to think more like Christ. And then we look at each other's lives. Again, huge disadvantage in this room, which is why we've got to be in small group relationships with one another where we see each other's lives because, because we, we can talk for however long each Sunday about the word. But if we're walking away and it's not taking root in our conduct and the way we're living, we're, we're, our exercise is pointless every single Sunday. It's what James says. Anyone who hears the word and doesn't do it, it's like a man who looks at a mirror, walks away and forget what he looks like. It makes no sense. It's pointless. 
And so we, we help each other say, hey, how does this word apply in our lives? That's what disciple-making is, helping work out the context of the word in the context of where, where we live. Final thing this word does is it sends and spreads. This word sends us out and spreads in the world. Look at, uh, oh, I got more verses then I know what to do with on this one. But look just at one, chapter 19, verse 20. So you're in chapter 20. Take a left back one chapter and just look at chapter 19, verse 20. This is, chapter 19 is when Paul was in Ephesus and he was speaking the word. And it says in verse 10, we've looked at this numerous times, that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And because of that, I want you to listen to what verse 20 says. It says, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Maybe underline that verse and then just get that image in our minds and our hearts. What does it mean for the word of God to increase? An interesting phrase. The word increased and prevailed mightily. That's... That's the goal in disciple-making, right? We want the word to increase and prevail mightily. So, what we don't want, faith family, we don't want this word to stop with us in the church. Right? That's the last thing we want. It's for this word to stop with us here. Go back to receiving and reproducing. God's design is, is that we would receive, yes, receive, and reproduce this word. His design, okay, in this church, this body of people, His design is not just that the word would infiltrate this, this building and minds in this building, but His word would infiltrate this community and this city and nation and nations for His glory. Like, that's God's design that his word in us would be translated into different contexts represented all over this room. Kind of like the Sudan picture. You think about it. Just raise your hand. How many of you live in Inverness, Oak Mountain area? Okay. All right. Now, how many of you live in uh, Chelsea? Okay. How many of you live in Hoover? Okay. How many live in, oh, we can keep going, some other area? Leeds, Vestavia, okay, Trustville, Eastlake, uh, Montgomery, okay, so you, you live in, in all these different places all around this room. Now, how many, how many of you go to elementary school or middle school or high school? Raise your, raise your hand really high, okay? So all these people in school. How many of you are in college? Okay, all right, got tons of college students, okay. How many of you uh, work at home? You work at home? Okay. How many of you work outside your home? Okay. How many of you will travel outside Birmingham this week? Not a lot of people. All right, just, just keep those hands up real quick. Okay, all right, that's cool. I want you to come back to that. How many of you will travel outside of the, outside of the United States sometime this year? Okay, now, now you just look, look at, you think about it. The potential in this room for this word to spread. If it doesn't just stay in here, right? The potential for this word to go into all kinds of communities all around us right now, this week, if we are reproducing the word. The potential. So a number of you who said, I'm traveling outside of Birmingham this week. This week, the potential for the word of God to spread into contexts far beyond Birmingham. So many of you, raising your hand, would go outside the United States sometime this year. 
potential for this word to spread from this room to the globe. You can't imagine. God made the word increase and prevail mightily. Certainly, he does not intend this word to stop with our consumption. Instead, he intends this word to spread through reproduction. We don't want this word to stop with us in the church. We want this to spread through us in the world. And the potential for that happening, even this week, is amazing when we are all teaching the word. Not giving lectures, holding classes, but in the context of relationships with family, friends, coworkers, strangers, intentionally saturating conversations with the word of God. The potential for what can happen even this week from this room is mind-boggling. Your inbox is filled with bad news every day. War, poverty, persecution. Across the world, pain comes in many forms. And in places like Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria, and North Korea, bad news isn't just on social media or TV. It's on the streets. It's breaking up homes. It's attacking churches. But... God is at work. Urgent fuels the work of indigenous believers bringing the good news to people in desperate need. And the work has already begun. Good news is on the way and you can be a part of it. Give today at urgentneeds.org. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacey Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram 